Our Great British Brands 2021 issue lands soon and it's not to be missed. Get a first look and find out who are this year's GBB award winners direct to your inbox by signing up to the complimentary digital newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Life Kitchens. Life create kitchens to be lived in, planned around your life and the way you live it. Explore their unique ranges and book a design consultation for a personal and practical approach to kitchens. Visit life-kitchens.co.uk. I got commissioned um, by Charles Rutherford, the architect, to do a, a tiled leather floor in Thurlow Square in 1986 and it's still there now and it looks absolutely beautiful now it looks gorgeous hello i'm carol annett from country and townhouse magazine welcome to the house guest podcast where i chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration the people behind the houses hotels shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours if you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. My house guest today is Bill Amberg, who founded his studio that bears his name over 20 years ago. Today, this is as much an artisan's collective as a thriving business offering high-end services. Bill, you said people's reference points for leather are car interiors and crappy sofas, but there's so much more you can do with this as material. Why is it that you fell in love with leather? Uh, that's such a lovely question. I think I was just, kind of, I was very lucky. I, I grew up near Northampton, which is the centre of the shoe trade. And uh, my mother, who was an architect, and my dad had a lift and escalator business in Northampton. But... Um, my mum used to get leather scrap from the market and bring it back for us to play with, you know, myself and my brother and my sister, um, for us to make stuff. And um, it just started this strange relationship with the material that I'm still completely passionate about. And I don't know why. <laughs> it's a lovely material to work with. I mean, it's a really nice material. It's, it's a very sympathetic material. There's, there's so much variety in it. I mean, there is so much variety. You can't imagine how much difference there is. And I suppose if you think about all the different types of techniques of leather, then that gives you an idea about the different types of leather in, you consider book binding, saddlery, shoemaking, case making, handbags, upholstery. I mean, they all use leather and they all have a different type of leather. And so it's endlessly fascinating, I think. And I think I'm right in saying that the rocket bag, which kind of people noticed you on the scene. Um, and of course, that's now in the permanent collection of the V&A and New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art. I mean, that's quite an accolade, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's, it's great when those things do get recognised and, and um, you know, people pick them up and put them in important places. I mean, it's about to be in the V&A show, which, was, which should have opened this summer, but and now in November and now who knows when. But um, no, it's a lovely bag and we still make it and it's still very popular. And Tell us, tell us about the inspiration for that and how it came about. Because that was really your starting point, was it not? Yes, I mean, I kind of, I'd always been making, um, when I was in, I, I trained in Australia, um, kind of formally, I suppose, um, with a, a craftswoman there who was amazing um, and taught me 
no end of different classical leatherworking techniques in terms of hand stitching and cutting. And I was making jockey's boots and um, bags and wallets and what have you, but very, you know, perfectly made. But she also was a great one for inspiring me to do anything with the material and looking at it, you know, uh, from all angles. So when I left Australia, I was making leather jewelry, believe it or not, and sculpture. I mean, it was kind of completely bonkers. But when I came back to the UK in 1984, when I set up, um, I knew I couldn't make money from leather jewellery because it was ghastly. (laughs) (laughs) But I had to do something. So I started to make bags. And um, and but I was but I had this kind of uh, desire to mix traditional techniques, but with something modern and and to and to mix it up and make it contemporary and make it function and worthy of today's needs and uh, I, I started to do that with all sorts of bags and briefcases and handbags and what have you but and the rocket bag grew out of that it was it was a kind of design for a, a reinvention of the classical gladstone bag almost or the medicine bag and it was a contemporary version of that and uh, why why did you go to australia to train what what did you didn't, it or were you just there completely by accident i was just there i i, I after school i worked on an oil rig for a year to get some money together for travel and um that's exactly what i did i set off went to new zealand travel around new zealand went to australia southeast asia over a couple of years but i could always do a little bit of leather work and while i was traveling it was a great uh traveling tool because you could go to any saddler or case maker or cobbler or sandal making hippie and 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 work get a job and, and but as a consequence, you picked up lots of different skills, you know. I think um, one of the one of the moments that uh, for me anyway, sort of uh, with a love of interior food and interiors um, was when A.A. A. Gill wrote um, about or it became known that you'd done. Was it a leather floor for him? Floor, or, yeah, yeah, that's right. I always remember that. Um, and he he uh, he talks about it with that you sort of came to the rescue um, and that you had these ox skins from an old Cornish tannery and that they'd come from the, the shoulder of the ox, which made because so they were slightly, <coughs> slightly wrinkled. And I, I just love that idea of um, of the, you know, this great food writer that you kind of covered his floor with with slightly wrinkly ox leather. <laughs> It's true. I mean, it's got, it, it does make the best floor, though. It really does. I mean, it's an amazing floor. It's very quiet. It's very warm. Uh, it's, it gets better and better and better the more you use it. Uh, it's, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely material for a floor, actually. Was that, was that his idea, or, or were leather floors just uh, um, something that you came up with? Or is it, is it something that happened in, in history, no, leather I, I, used I, in that way? I... I, I thought about it a little bit just as an idea um this is in the mid 80s and then i got commissioned um, by charles rutherford the architect to do a a tiled leather floor in thurlow square in 1986 and it's still there now and it looks absolutely beautiful now it looks gorgeous in a family home and um that's yeah that was the kind of beginning of it and then very quickly i think the same year uh, Solange Asguri Partridge, the jewellery designer, 
she and I both were obsessed with um, uh, Joseph Boys, who had just had a big show in the West End uh, then, in that year, I think, or thereabouts, anyway. And um, uh, we noticed in the show there was a photograph of him in his Dusseldorf studio with a leather with a leather floor, leather rug in his studio. And we thought, wow, that looks so cool. And she said, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's have one. So I did, I did a, a, a laced leather floor carpet for her and she still has that one as well. Was it, did she ever have that in her showroom? Cause did she ha didn't she have a shop in Walton Street or in Knightsbridge or something? We, we, we did another leather floor for her um, in, in her shop. Um, but the one that, uh, the, the Joseph Boys one, the laced one is in her house and she still has it. In fact, we picked it up and moved it when she moved and reinstalled it, reimagined re it in the new space and added a few bits and cut a few bits out and refitted it. I thought it was quite interesting also, you point out that um, it's very warm, but it also uh, has medical medical benefits because it's, it's, there's no dust. It doesn't attract dust like a carpet or a rug. That's right, yeah. No, we, d we had done a... We did do a, um, a, a bedroom for a child, actually, who got very severe asthma um, because it, it's very, it's like a carpet, it's warm and quiet, but it doesn't, have, it doesn't collect any dust at all. I mean, floorboards create a lot of dust, just the movement of the, of the floorboards create dust. Um, leather doesn't have that, and it, it's, it has the sort of same qualities of carpet without the dust. Uh, and unlike a carpet, it gets better the more you walk on it rather than... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so how much, how much of your work now is taken up with interior designers? Um, I mean, I, you, you look at somebody like Todd Hunter Earle, who, who says the Bill Amberg leather handrail reminds us that luxury so often lies in the detail. Um, tell us about some of the collaborations that you've, or the way you've worked with interior designers. Well, that's, I mean, now probably 95% of the work that we do is on interiors, is architectural installations or furniture. And the, the, the split between the two of those is probably, it's probably about 65% architectural installations. So by that, I mean walls or doors or floors or carpets or staircases. We cover staircases in leather um, and then, and, and handrails. And then the, uh, the, the remainder is furniture. And that's a lot of things like writing desks, um, dressing tables, uh, cocktail cabinets, uh, you know, a, a big variety, you know, libraries. We do a lot of library work, um, safe lining, safe interiors. So there's some really well, lovely- you never, you never see it if it's inside a safe. Yes, but that's quite nice though, isn't it? I always say, I always say that to people that it's, um, you know, when people say they want to use leather, I always say, we'll put it in an intimate space because it's a very personal material actually. And, and it is one of those things that does improve as you use it. So a more intimate space is a better place for it. Like, a, like somebody's office or like a dressing room or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a lovely material for that. And I think that's the same with the safe. You know, you have these, the number of people's houses, you've got these, they have a safe installed and you open up the safe and they've got all of their gorgeous jewelry piled up in plastic bags you know, in the bottom of this metal box. That is mad. <laughs> so we take all of that out and, and line it all in beautiful drawers that all fit jewellery or documents or whatever. And, um, and the whole thing's much more 
much more beautiful. And obviously then when you open the safe, suddenly it's like, oh, hello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. And, and what about your digitally printed leather? So um, you, had a, you recently created designs um, with some people that you say that you, you'd always admired. Um, Kaziwa Aboa, Bethan Gray, Yinka Ilori, Amber Kukar, Jonathan Saunders. Tell us about that. Well, I wanted to, we'd worked with digital leather before, you know, quite a number of times actually. Um, and it had always been a big disappointment, the, the, the quality of the material. Sorry, I live next to a railway line, hence the funny well, trains. I thought it was the toilet flushing, actually. <laughs> no, the railway line. I live right next to the railway. Anyway, no, I, I, I've been using the, um, I've been using um, digital printed leather, but I've always been really disappointed with it. It sort of negated the, the, the um, fundamental gorgeousness of a piece of lovely leather. And I thought the problem, it dawned on me one day that the problem was that nobody had ever thought about the substrate properly. They were too obsessed with the print itself and not with the tech, not with the chemistry of the leather and the chemistry of the, of the inks. So I approached a specialist tannery that we do a lot of upholstery leather with and asked whether they'd be interested in developing a tannage of leather specifically to accept digital ink. Okay. And that took two years of, you know, chemists basically figuring it out. And, and eat, because each color on the CMYK range is a different chemical formula, they had to work with each individual color on the tannage to get a bond. Anyway, two years later, did it, it was wonderful. And then it meant that we could print anything, but you still retain the grain of the, the natural grain of the leather. You still retain the warm handle, the warm feel that you get when you hold the leather. Uh, it's still very durable, like you would expect from a piece of leather upholstery. Um, it, it stitches and stretches and pulls correctly without cracking. So in terms of how you can use it, suddenly the whole world opened up and then I thought well how are we gonna how do we launch it how do we sell it what do we do now we've got this bit of technology and that's when I started talking to um friends within the industry and and I worked with Tom Dixon and Faye Toogood and as you say Jonathan Saunders and Amber Kohart uh, you know big variety of people Yinkeri Laurie's just done a really cool um stool with it and a chair that we're about to produce for him Beth and Gray designed an, an armchair and a sofa with her print so it's beginning to get, um, it's beginning to become, get a life of its own, which is, which is great. And it's exciting to be part of something, you know, really that it's the first thing, to be honest, that I'm selling that I've never actually made myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, we've got, we're featuring one in the next issue of um, Country and Townhouse. So we'll put it on the uh, image uh, on the podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and. What about the studio itself? Where, where are you and how many people do you have there now? Well, that is really the core to everything that we do. I mean, that's so important. My craftsmen and women are amazing. I'm just so lucky to have them. And, you know, they, they form the, the bedrock of the whole business, really. Without them, there is no business. Um, and they, they cross-train throughout all of the different techniques of leatherworking, which is great. So it does mean that we can do literally anything that 
from bookbinding to case making to upholstery. You know, we do our own upholstery. We have a big upholstery unit and there's 14 people in all, um, some designers. And I think that's also really important. So I employ a furniture designer um, and, a, and an architect, fully qualified architect. Again, very important for how we work because we can come in very early into a project and we can talk to people very early on uh, on a design development level. And therefore you get to a, a much more sophisticated, much more elegant finished product because you are developing it from the beginning, from the outset. And you can then marry up the woodworking, the metalworking, all the details you can really explore properly. And I think, as I said, I think that's really important. And where do you get involved with it all? Um, I, my role is, I suppose, kind of creative director in many ways, in that I, you know, I continually seek out new ways of working the material. I have a great studio of my own down here in Somerset. Um, so I can do some experimenting down here and I can bring things back up to London when required. Um, but I'm, I'm also, we also do a lot of experimenting at work. Um, so we have every kind of two months, we have an experimental day when everybody involved in the, in the business gets to have a play around a particular technique. And that's produced some fascinating stuff like the stack table came out of that. Um, the woven lights, which we've just launched, the loom collection, that came out of a, you know, an experimental day when we were just playing with braiding, just seeing what, exploring the idea of braiding. And from that, you know, admittedly three years later, but we've come up with a range of lighting. And, and that all just comes from experimenting. That just comes from pushing material around and seeing what's possible and, and trying to understand it a bit better and looking at it from a different way, you know. And, and that, that's how it developed. Yeah, the, um, actually I've just seen the images of those. Um, I think actually we're, we're also featuring one of those as well. It's the most beautiful knotted leather around the case of a light. Is that, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's right, yeah, it's, it's a tu they're tubular um, and we hand knot the leather around the tube. Um, and then they, sit, then they sit within a sort of bronze um, frame. But we do wall sconces, floor lamps, desk lamps. Um, you know, there's a really, it came from a, the one I, we, we made one for fun and then an architect saw it and commissioned a chandelier oh, wow. for a house in Tenerife. Yeah, so we did a really beautiful bronze cruciform with the lights ha hanging down from it, 22 different um, knotted um, tubes. It was very beautiful. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your um, apprenticeship program, because that's, um, that must be something that's quite close to your heart. And also why leather and craftsmanship is so important, particularly now. Training, I think, is vital. You know, I think understanding at the level of work where we operate, where you can't produce anything that's less than perfect, you have to have 100% confidence in the craftsmen that surround you. And the only way you can achieve that is by having a proper, properly trained team. And that we build up through the apprentice program. So it's a three-year apprenticeship. They learn everything they, you could possibly learn about leatherwork across the board. 
covering all of those techniques that I first discussed. Um, and, and then everybody cross trains within the, within the studio. So everybody can do all of the techniques. There's no one person who is the best at hand stitching or the best at molding. People obviously have preferences, but everybody has to do it. That's crucial. Um, and, and, it, and there you also build a team. You know, I think, and a, and a team is, that's again, very important to how we work. I was very influenced by a Japanese designer called Soro Yanagi. And he wrote, uh, his father wrote a book called The Unknown Craftsman. And it's a very interesting book about the process of making in design and how important it is to, to have things made beautifully and how the craftsmen aid the design process by their influence and by their ability. And, and when something's being, being made in three dimensions, you get the opportunity to change it and alter it. And I really encourage the craftsmen to do that. You know, they, you can only do so much on a piece of paper. It's, but it's when it's actually on the bench being made that things really start to come alive. And that's a great thing to do, I think. Mm. Um, and I think it's interesting now that the times that we live in, people need, people are going back to making. They're going back to looking at things that are real even in terms of what people buy now, people want to buy something that has real value, that has an intrinsic value, that has a, it's going to have longevity, it's going to be theirs, it has a personal relationship that you have a personal relationship with. I think the, the, the days of throwing stuff out for no good reason and just buying another one, they are behind us, which is great for the environment, I think it's great for society, I think it's great for our culture. People think a little bit more now. But I, and, and as a consequence of that, I suppose, people are turning to making as an alternative, um, you know, sort of career. And therefore, you find new things cropping up. I mean, I'm a, I'm a trustee of Cockpit Arts in London, which is a wonderful organization of um, craftsmen and artists in two sites in London. But most importantly, they get a, um, they get a business incubation um, system in place so that they, they actually are encouraged not only to work beautifully, but also understand how to make a living out of it. Yeah. And that's the other thing that's important. Which is so you know, important. You're all very well, you know, making stuff, but if you can't understand how to make a living, then it falls by the wayside. So I think they have to go hand in hand. But fighting uh, times. Does the making um, move across into other parts of your life? Are you a good cook or a carpenter or anything? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love cooking. Yeah, I love cooking, and I'm very handy with. I'm very handy around the house, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that warms <really> my heart. <laughs> uh, now I have a big workshop, and I'm always up to. I'm always making something. I've always got another project going all the time. So what, it keeps me interested. What's your signature? What's your what's your signature dish in the kitchen? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I definitely go with the flow with that. We're very lucky down here in Somerset. There's some wonderful suppliers, um, and and I've got a vegan for a daughter, which is quite interesting too. So I cook a lot of vegetables and um, yeah, all sorts of things. I don't have a, you know, I, I love reading. I love reading cookbooks like a like a novel. And then I put them down and then when it comes to cooking, they, 
all the ideas come flooding in and I just get on with it. It's good fun. Could we have a, a leather salad bowl or a... Well, interestingly, I am making a, I'm looking, one of our latest experiments is leather vessels. Is it? And we're doing, um, we've been looking at some leather cups, like the old blackjacks, the medieval blackjacks. And I've been working with a ceramic artist down here to reproduce the same cup in ceramics, in porcelain. So yeah, who I'm knows? I'm sure there must be a market somewhere leather a, a leather espresso cup imagine the flavor it would impart to your coffee as well <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks bill so much it's been absolutely fascinating and a real pleasure to talk to you thank you very much indeed absolute pleasure Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. For more news and views in the world of interior design, sign up to our newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk and why not listen in to our sister podcast, Breakout Culture with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Fruity Metcalf. <laughs>